You guys are so excited tonight, man. Man, just gonna put that there. Yeah. All right, this is good. This has got some good energy. All right, I'm, I can work with this. So uh, we're just we're jumping in here, guys. Once again, I'm just thrilled to be with you tonight, speaking tonight. I hope that this is really something encouraging and hopefully challenging to you as well in your spiritual journey. And so we are moving through a series talking about the greats. It is two statements of Jesus. And so last week, I just finished up talking about Jesus's great commandment that he shared with us. And so this week and next week, I'm going to talk more about the Great Commission. What's that all about? And so actually, let's just get into it. Uh, have it in your hand out there. And I'm just going to read through that just so we can all get on the same page about what this is. And so the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus said that after all kinds of things, his whole earthly, earthly ministry, and after he was crucified and he died and he rose three days later, and then he says this right before he ascended into heaven after, after resurrecting and all that crazy stuff happened. And so that's what happened there. That's what he was imparting to his followers, his disciples on that day. This is around 2,000 years ago, you guys. And so in some way, we, we can see, we can tell that this model that Jesus has given of making disciples of all nations and going out to all these places in order to make more followers of God, it's, it's happened to you, it's affected you, it's touched your life in some way because you're sitting here right now. You know, this, he said that in like Jerusalem a long time ago, 2000 years ago. And so it's made its way to this nation and it's made its way just through all kinds of generations of people and their lives. So in some way, yes, his disciples have truly gone through these steps of making disciples, baptizing people, and, and teaching them to observe all he's commanded. So that's what we see in this great commission. So what does it mean to make disciples? We've got to tackle that. What does it mean to make disciples? That's the idea that's, that I want to hone, on, hone in on tonight, I want to focus on. So to make disciples is to pass on what's already been entrusted to us. And so that for, for a follower of Jesus, that's the gospel. That's the ways of Jesus. When Jesus had his earthly ministry, he had 12 disciples and they were just with him all the time. And they got to know him and his ways and they ended up uh, doing some incredible things to advance the kingdom of God, uh, of God long after Jesus was gone. And so they started that and they passed it on to us. And so if we are to take this seriously, we need to pass on what's been entrusted to us, the gospel and the ways of Jesus. And so we have a, a shirt actually in the back, that's why I brought this here, that uh, I designed this a few years ago, no big deal. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and it says on here, it has this globe, and it says, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and it goes around and around uh, forever. <laughs> and so part of, part of our goal, and because it's 
Jesus' goal, <laughs> is to just make disciples and not stop. And to just continue that process, continue that cycle of making a disciple who can then reproduce in the lives of other, another disciple who can do the same for another. And that's the way that we, that's the way that Jesus has commanded us to be, has commissioned us uh, with, his, with his great commission. And so that's our goal. It's an ongoing process that continues until, as Jesus puts it, the end of the age. He says, I'm with you till the end, the very end of the age. And so until then, like, that's our mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your mission. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that Jesus has given us, which is a lot. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, uh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a disciple of his named Timothy. And he says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. And so what this verse is saying, this is Paul teaching Timothy, saying, what you've heard from me, Paul, Timothy, entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations of discipleship that we can see there. He is saying, like, pass it on. Entrust this to these people, to these men. Now, th there's only one qualification that we see in this verse, and that is faithful, right? And trust this to faithful men. And that's really good news because I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of skills or when I first started following God, my character was pretty weak. And so th there's so much that we lack as Jesus' disciples, but the good news is he doesn't require much of you. He doesn't require much of me. You, me. He just requires that we be faithful, that we would entrust ourselves to him as he, as his message is entrusted to each one of us to be stewarded however uh, we might want to do that. So who, who here likes group projects? Do you like them? Okay, who's like been in a group project? You kind of know, oh, okay, yeah, we're here. So there's a ratio there, you know, the, <laughs> the, like, the people who like it and the people who have been in on. So when I was a freshman in college, I was in a group communications class, a group public speaking class. And maybe you guys still have these, I guess, I don't know, I hope so. Uh, it's not that old. Uh, where you get put in, you get placed in a group of maybe five or so students, and that's your group for the whole semester, and you guys are given assignments and presentations to work on, right, and to, to give in front of the rest of the class. That was a, a general education class that I had to take, and I actually took it with two other uh, freshman friends of mine, my best friends at the time, Jeff and Brandon. And so me and Jeff and Brandon, we go into this class. We actually decide amongst ourselves to split up. And each of us is going to be in a different group in this class. I don't know, as a social experiment? I'm not really sure. But we did that. <clears throat> and, and so there was kind of a spread here. So I just happened to get into the group that was just... It was the best group, you guys. It was incredible, okay? <laughs> we, we were the best group, and by no merit of freshman Davids. Uh, it's just, it was just an incredible group, and we connected well with each other, and we worked well, and we worked hard on things, and we cared about what we were uh, engaged in, and we just encouraged each other, and it was just a, a pretty awesome experience, and it showed in the results that we put in, and you know, we got some really good grades in that class. My friend Jeff, was got placed in probably the second best group. It was a pretty good group. 
There's a lot of seniors in there, though, so they're kind of like checked out a little bit of college, you know? There's a little bit of that. But for the most part, they had enough abilities and skills and, you know, enough kind of care to actually like want to get some decent grades. And so they, you know, they did pretty good as well. It was me, it was Jeff, and then Brandon. Brandon, I don't know how this happened, but he ended up in what was essentially a group of stoners. <laughs> and the three of us, we're just three good Christian boys, you know, we're trying to make our way through college, you know, and so Brandon, he's just shocked, you know, that this happened to him. And predictably, uh, his group was really hard to work with, and the assignments often fell on him because his group mates were busy with other, whatever, recreational activities, right? <laughs> and so that was our experiences. Maybe you've experienced some kind of degree of that, but you'll notice that, you know, there's this variety there's all kinds of ways that a group project can go with the people that you're working with. And so when you're in a group uh, and you're working on an assignment like that, there, you can have one of two perspectives. Either this is our project to the extent that you, we, we acknowledge the shared responsibility, but knowing about that shared responsibility in the back of your mind, you can be a little careless, right? You can be lazy. That's what it kind of naturally leads to, right? You can just justify your lack of participation knowing someone else will do it, right? And so, you know, we, we all, I know how y'all feel about them, you know? <laughs> Maybe you are one of those, uh-oh, you know? But uh, so that, if you kind of see it as like our thing, our project, our mission, and if you don't take your own personal responsibility in it, then you're just gonna do nothing, allowing other people to just sort of pick up the slack. And so that's, that, that's where the other perspective comes in. May, the other perspective is, this is my project. Yes, I'm doing it in a group of people, but I have a job to do. I have responsibilities. I have some personal ownership of what I'm bringing to the table, right? And that's, that's who we kind of are like, yeah, that's good. You should be like that, right? And that leads to like a diligent mindset where you're going to actually work and care about the output, and it's going to lead to a more enjoyable uh, time, a more enjoyable semester. I bring all this up because Jesus's great commission, it's kind of a lot like a group project, right? See, by, by God's power, by God's sovereignty, it's going to be completed. It's going to be completed. The, the thing that he has chosen to, to happen and for us to work on, uh, by, his, by his power, his sovereignty, it's going to happen. But you and I get to decide whether we're going to glorify God through our participation in obeying him and making disciples. We get to choose what kind of perspective we're gonna have. Either you're thinking somebody else will do it, or you're thinking, this is my responsibility. This is Jesus' commission to me, and I have a part to play. And I believe that every single one of us can have a part to play in this. And I know it seems like a lot to ask, it seems like a lot to ask when Jesus looks you in the eye and says, make disciples of all nations. You know, wow, this is a lot to put on my shoulders. It can be easy to come up with reasons why we're not cut out for this task that Jesus has shared with us, right? And with the rest of our time, I want to identify, I want to debunk five excuses that we're tempted to give. Five excuses that we're tempted to give about why this group, group project it's probably just someone else's problem, right? That's just kind of the way we like to think about it. And I wanna, I wanna identify that, I wanna debunk it. My goal in this is not condemnation, 
My goal in this is not to like make you feel guilty because you're not doing what Jesus said. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take one next step, one obedient step toward what God has, has given us to do. And it's a fulfilling thing for us to engage in together and participate in. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. God wants to do much greater things in and through your life than you can imagine right now. God wants to do much greater things in and through your life than you can imagine right now. Uh, the, uh, the founder of Crew, uh, his name is Bill Bright. Crew's meeting, <laughs> the, our local chapter is meeting in this room tomorrow, I think. And so uh, Bill Bright, though, he, is a, he was a campus minister, and he says this, there is no higher calling or greater privilege than being involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission. There is no higher calling or greater privilege than being involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. So let's dive into some common reasons that we give for not participating in Jesus's group project. The first of these is I'm not called. I'm just not called. It's something that you may have thought before. And it's worth asking. It's an understandable question. Okay, are all Christians called to make disciples? You know, that's, that's an understandable thing to try to figure out. I think, I think that the answer is yes, though. And let me explain. So if the Great Commission, first of all, if the Great Commission only applied to those who were in attendance when Jesus spoke in Matthew 28, then who would communicate it after they died? Like, what then? Those guys, those guys are long gone, right? So how did it make it this far? <laughs> it seems clear that they were intended to pass on Jesus' teachings so that they, those teachings could be passed on to someone else or else it would die with them. <laughs> and so it needs to be passed on in some manner. It needs to be uh, passed on. And so scripture provides other sources, I think, of evidence to imply that every believer has a role to play in making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission. And one of my favorite examples of this is in 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 is printed for you there. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's a lot going on in this, in this verse, but some things to highlight here. First, God, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you into his priesthood, his nation, his, his people, right? So we're part of that group. We're part of that, that nation. And so why did he do that? Why are we a part of it? It says, so that you may proclaim his excellencies. So that you may proclaim his excellencies. And when we think of proclaim, you know, that's share or verbally declare, right? His excellencies. Why? Why is that? So it says that he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so if that's happened for you, right? And every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a testimony. You have a clear picture of the darkness and the ignorance and the brokenness that you were once a part of and how he has, he has brought you, he has called you into his marvelous light. And we have that. 
And that's something worth proclaiming. That's something worth celebrating and inviting people to be a part of. And so, now when I say that, some of you are not currently called to make disciples. Some of you are not currently called to make disciples. That's because you haven't yet become a disciple. And so, it's important. This is a good opportunity for us to, to pause a second. And I want to make sure that every time that we meet for this, for challenge, is that we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel of God's grace. The Bible tells us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And so if you haven't made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you haven't made the decision to to step out of darkness and into his light that he calls us into, he pulls us into, then you're you're hearing me right now. I want to encourage you to, to consider that, to dwell on that, to make that choice tonight. And make sure that that, you don't go home wondering whether this is true of you. But we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel that he has freely given to every every one of us. So I just want to make sure that that's available to you, that you understand this opportunity, this priceless gift of of the gospel. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And so I want to encourage you first, become a disciple. (laughs) Become a disciple and invite others in to be a part of that. And thus, I think that we're all called to, to do this. So next is the excuse, well, I just, I'm just not motivated. I'm not motivated. Even though you're no, you know you're called, you might still be in that kind of group project mindset, you know? <laughs> the group project mindset, which sees the Great Commission as optional, right? Something that's going to be completed one way or another with or without your help. This is an understandable position once again. It's like, well, why do I need to bother with it if we know it's going to to happen anyways? And so I have some ideas for you, okay? (laughs) So 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, I don't think it's on your handout. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this, this verse brings up an important question. Who do you live for? Who are you living for? Because if, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life belongs to God. Your life belongs to him. And that just verse, I don't need to tell you this. This verse tells you pretty clearly, you should no longer live for yourself because of everything that he has done to rescue us out of that darkness that we once dwelt in. And so Christ's love called us in the first place. And it says, 2 Corinthians says that it compels us. It motivates us to live for him. And that includes the way that we minister to other people who are desperately in need of him. Christ's love compels us to not just live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. That's what that verse is saying. And so think about it. How can you live for him in the way that you love people? If you love people in the way that he loved you by sacrificing himself for you. And so we should be motivated by love. We should also be motivated by eternity. 
We should be motivated by eternity. Psalm 90, 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's important for us to, to number our days, not to be weird and goth and gloomy, you know, but just understand that this is, this is short, you guys. Life is short, but eternity is forever. And that, that goes for you. That's not a threat, okay? It's just the truth. <laughs> Look out, no. Uh, and it goes for you, that goes for everybody else you meet, okay? Christian or non-Christian. This goes two ways. On one hand, it means that you have a limited time, a limited window of your moment, your breath of a life to proclaim the gospel to as many people as possible, to make your life count as much as possible. And on the other hand, it means the same for everybody else. A person that you meet today could be gone tomorrow. And so once again, their window is just an instant. The opportunities can be so small, so precise. And the reality is that those who remain in darkness and die in that darkness will be separated from God for eternity. And that's, that's a daunting thought. That's a haunting thought, honestly. But I want to encourage you, as we think about eternity and think about the souls of people and how just desperate and difficult it is to, to wrestle with the idea that people are headed toward a Christless eternity unless we intervene. That's heavy. I, want, I understand that that's heavy, and I don't want that to paralyze you. That's the key difference. We cannot let it, that, that thought paralyze us toward a sense of just, okay, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not going to do anything, because that's, that's, that's a lot to handle. Don't let it paralyze you, but instead let it galvanize you. Just let it spur you on toward, all right, what's, what's my next step? What does God want to do with me? How can I make myself more available to, to him in order to be used in the people in whose lives he's given me? Who, how can I be more useful for the glory of God so that in this, this brief moment of a life that I'm living and the rest of us are living, that I can make a difference and, and lead people toward him and knowing him. Let us be motivated by love. Let us be motivated by eternity. Okay. All right, next, next one. I'm not extroverted. I'm not extroverted. That might be another kind of reason we're thinking about. I see you, okay? I know. You're thinking. I, I know what you're thinking right now, okay? This sounds nice, David. Uh, but, nah, it's, this, isn't a, this isn't for me. You see, I'm an introvert. And... You know, this, this clearly can't apply to me. That's a checkmate right there. Uh, this is definitely a job for the extroverts. Keep doing that. Uh, this is definitely a job for the extroverts, so I don't think I need to worry about this. You know, me no speak words very good, so I'm just not going to, this isn't my thing, okay? But thanks for telling me. No, just kidding. I know that none of you would think this, um, but I have, okay? <laughs> so... Maybe this is just for me, but my story is that, man, the, the way that I just grew up, just the way that I am, my disposition, uh, man, I, I grew up being really just easily embarrassed and shy and uncomfortable talking to people. 
And uh, man, as I gave my life to Jesus, over time, God, God did a few things to, to change me, to reorient my, my ways and my perspective, even though I was so uh, just timid and so easily shaken by what do, what do other people think of me? And I know that's true for a lot of us, but God did a few things in my life. First, he began to change me through the circumstances he put me in and also through the Spirit's work in my heart, just as I committed myself to him to try to be faithful. He was doing some work in my heart. And then second, he began to build my perspective, especially as I started to come to challenge. Honestly, I was a student coming to challenge and I was wrestling with some of these things of how am I supposed to really make a difference when this seems like clearly such a social aspect of, of living, an interpersonal thing that I'm clearly just not cut out for. I was wrestling with this and God showed me the importance of engaging with people through a community like this one, where I can engage with believers through fellowship. I can engage with, yeah, even the lost through evangelism. As scary as that was for me, slowly, over time, as these works of God intertwined, I found myself more intrinsically motivated and supernaturally equipped to do what he was calling me to do, and that was to make disciples. Uh, one, one passage that really speaks to me is found in Exodus. This is talking, this is about Moses. God called Moses uh, to, who had run away from his people because he was afraid. And God says, Moses, I want you to lead your people out of Egypt. And this is Moses' response. You might be thinking, hey, maybe you should just accept the assignment God gives you. But no, this is what Moses said. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It's like, I'm in charge. Anyway, he says, Now therefore go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. See, God promises to his faithful servants that if we will make ourselves available, if we will just go, then he will supply the power and the ability. He will be with your mouth, it says. And so, and honestly, for most of us, this is making disciples does not involve whatever this public speaking or oratory skills or anything like that. This is just a matter of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and telling someone about the good news of who God is and what he's done for us. It's that simple. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. This is not rocket science. This is not a complex notion for us to try to, to, to lay hold of and have to figure out and how to, how to word it or articulate it the exact right way. God, God is with us. He is, he's made your mouth <laughs> and he can use you even if you feel like you're not capable of doing that. I can attest to the ways that he can supernaturally change how we can, how we can be in this way. And so there's actually another way that we can be tempted to excuse ourselves from this call due to a lack of ability. Number four here for you is I'm not knowledgeable. 
I'm not knowledgeable. All right, this seems like a good one. This one makes sense, right? It seems like maybe, maybe I'm stumped. <laughs> Especially if you haven't followed Christ for very long. This seems like an easy thing to say, oh, yeah, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be messing with that yet. And honestly, I know this. Some of you have given your life to Jesus within the past few weeks. And I'm, I love that. I'm so proud of you. I'm happy for you. I am excited for your journey as you move forward. And I think that you are just as qualified to share the gospel and make disciples as I am. That's what I think. See, there was a story in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 9 where Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And then Jesus kind of exited the area and these Pharisees, these religious leaders, like, whoa, what happened? Where's Jesus? We don't like this guy. They're just trying to find another way to try to trap him or get him in trouble. They're just mad all the time. <laughs> and so they're running around trying to figure this out, and they start kind of accusing the man who was born blind, saying, hey, like, don't you know this guy's a sinner? They're like, this can't, this can't happen. This doesn't make sense. John 9, 25. The man replies to these Pharisees, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. What do you need to know in order to testify about how God has healed you? Honestly, what do you need to know? According to John 9.25, you just need to know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. He admits, I don't know whether he is a sinner. He admits, I don't know a million things about Christianity or the doctrine of the Trinity, or predestination, or eschatology, or any other cool word that David learned in uh, seminary. <laughs> there is great value, there is great value, I understand, in learning, in growing, in absorbing more important information about who God is. I encourage you in this. This is why we're here, to, to learn and experience wisdom and knowledge together. But your life is an ongoing quest to know him more. You are never going to completely wrap your head around who God is. So if you wait until you're ready with all of the information we could possibly know, then we'll never get around to actually doing what God has asked of us. I don't know. I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I was blind and now I can see. Another verse I want to turn our attention toward is from Jeremiah 9. It says... Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, 
declares the Lord. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. This verse in Jeremiah lists these different traits, wisdom, strength, and wealth, right? These do not make us worthy of God. And if we're not careful, our pride in these traits, our ability, our strength in these ways will actually get in the way of God using us. If we're so confident in who we are and what we can do, then we'll get in the way of what he wants to do through you. And so that that leads to one final excuse that I want to highlight before we're, we're done tonight. I'm not capable. I'm not capable. You see, you are right. You are right. You're not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not capable. You're not capable. Not only are we wholly dependent on God for salvation in the first place, but we're wholly dependent on him for effectiveness in all things. That includes making disciples. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And it is abundantly freeing. When I read this verse, 2 Corinthians 3, it is abundantly freeing to admit that I'm not sufficient. It's abundantly freeing to admit that I'm not sufficient, but God is. Another verse that speaks deeply to me about this is 2 Corinthians 12. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you recognize that you are not capable and sufficient, that, that is good news for you because you're halfway there. If you, if you lower yourself to the point of understanding, I can't do this. I'm, I'm far too weak. Then that's good. You're halfway there. But we can't stop there. But we can't stop there. If you acknowledge that you, all that you are not, and then lean upon all that God is, he will supply the increase. He will supply the power, the strength. His power is made perfect in weakness. And Jesus said it best when he said, at the tail end of the Great Commission, commanding his disciples to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, this immense, impossible task for any of us to think we can attempt on our own, or even all of us on our own as God's people. He tells us this. He promises you this. I am with you always. I am with you always. His presence ensures our victory. So present yourself to God as a humble, faithful witness, and he will do the miraculous through your life. And through your life into the lives of others. 
Jesus' group project is the most meaningful assignment or adventure you're ever going to take part in. So I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Let's make disciples together. Allow me to pray for us. Father, you are with us now. You are with us here. You are with us always. And we thank you for the blessing of knowing you and getting to take part in this mission, the privilege of working with you to make disciples of all nations. God, I understand, I acknowledge that I'm not worthy. I'm not sufficient. And God, I'm so blessed, I'm so thankful for all that you've done to, to add your sufficiency to me, to, to raise me up to, to do what you've called me to do. And I just pray that you would make that a reality for all of us. Continue to use me in my frailty, my weakness. And God, help us all to more deeply recognize our frailty, our weakness before you, knowing that in our weakness, you are so, so, so strong. So God, make that a reality for us and make us, Father, a force to be reckoned with that you would be magnified on our campuses for your glory through us, your people. I pray that we would seek your face always. In Jesus' name, amen.